Those functional lifetime skills that, that we're addressing in a physical education setting that are preparing our students for transition. So. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Scott with What's New in Adaptive Physical Education. And uh, super excited to be talking about the transition process within special education and APE today. It's a topic that um, I have a little bit of experience with. I used to help out during the transition process. So I've been to quite a few transition meetings, and uh, I think it's a topic that there's not a ton of guidance on, uh, except for one or two documents that we have and a few research papers, uh, as well as I think there's a critical need for APE teachers during this process because APE teachers during the transition process can really help to influence things like their working skills, uh, if they need endurance or cardiorespiratory, which a lot of jobs need, as well as uh, we can make sure that they're ha getting access to community-based recreation and leisure activities out in their communities, which we know for fact, it's well-documented research that they don't have the same opportunities as their typically developing peers. So with that, I'm super excited about this podcast. I got some audio issues solved. I got an awesome panel so uh, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but I have Laura Brickhouse, a former guest, on, and she's a National APE Teacher of the Year. Uh, she's going to talk about herself. And then I have Dr. Rob Arnhold, who is somewhat of a, a legend in the um, academia world, and he is uh, he has been teaching at Slippery Rock University for a long time and, and has, been, has started and contributed uh, greatly to a transition program at his university for students with disabilities. So uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about the transition process, what it is, how an APE teacher can help, and how to start fostering a relationship with other communities to get our kids active. With that, I hope you enjoy. So I am Laura Breakhouse. Um, I teach adapted physical education for Durham Public Schools in North Carolina. Um, I've been teaching adapted PE for 10 years and absolutely love it. And I'm pretty passionate about transition. I do think it's something that is, you know, overlooked. Um, and I think it's something that we kind of need to bring to the forefront and, and, you know, really work to get our students prepared for life outside of school. Excellent. And Dr. Arnhold, would you like to uh, briefly talk about your background that you're bringing to uh, this conversation today? Sure. My name is Bob Arnhold. I'm a professor at Slippery Rock University in Western Pennsylvania. This is my 32nd year. Um, I've been teaching adapted physical activity at the graduate level for the past 10 years. We have a large cohort every year that comes through. We have an undergraduate minor in adapted physical activity with about 100 um, students enroll at any given point in time. In the past four years, I've gotten involved in transition and post-secondary education for students uh, with intellectual and other developmental disabilities. Very nice, very nice. And I'm definitely going to want to learn more about uh, that exact experience that you bring to the table, Dr. Arnhold. So, as Laura just said as well, like so the transition process is um, a little bit uncharted territory in our world. Uh, there's a few, I've read a few research articles. Um, I actually, that's a little bit my background. I worked mostly in high school and I helped out with some transition programming. 
Uh, but overall, you know, I've noticed that there's not a ton of direction as this goes in the school districts and then outside of the school districts. And so I think it's hard for somebody to make something up right away. So with, with that, let's start out in the school districts and let's start working towards that community area as well. So with that, kind of, can you, anybody, or kind of define what is the transition process in special ed with total? Like, what is the overall, what is it, the purpose of it, and what is it? So the, the transition process in regards to students with special needs is, it encompasses, um, you know, movement from school to post-school activities. So within that, we're talking um, post-secondary education, integrated employment, um, continuing in adult education, vocational education, independent living, um, and community participation. So all of that is, is you know, kind of defined and, and goals are written and, and plans are developed based on what each student needs related um, to those subjects. Yeah, I'll just add that um, transition planning um, is really supposed to start by age 16, uh, 14 in some states, like in Pennsylvania, and that's all mandated by IDEA in 2004. And the students are required to be in community-based vocational training uh, environments outside the school building. And the students have a right to receive transition services, but also have a right to receive physical education as well. So that's where the issue, I think, for our discussion is going to come up. Yes. Yes. And I think that's perfect transition, not to use that term lightly, <laughs> but to um, a, a good segue to uh, now physical education um, and, you know, what what is it that we could do uh, in the world of transition and, you know, what could we be doing in APE? Well, I'll start. I, I know in um, 2015 or 16, I was part of a Shape America guidance document and it was, it's titled Providing Community-Based PE Services for Students with Disabilities in Special Education Transition Programs. And in that document, um, SHAPE was, we were happy to have SHAPE support us through a guidance document, like I said, to encourage and recommend that school districts consider uh, providing physical education outside the school building, which is, which is okay, according to OSEP. Um, and in community-based settings with the proper goals and objectives for those kids, students moving from school to community. And I know, you know, as we all know, the adverse health effects of physical inactivity um, is the rationale for this guidance document as well. So uh, it's about an eight-page document. It really outlines why we ought to be thinking about having qualified physical education personnel following students into the community, just like transition specialists do for the academic or transition service part of the uh, IEP. And then, Laura, if you want to add anything as well, but I, I um, what can, so let's kind of maybe go off in some of those benefits that you were just talking about. So some of those benefits um, that the APE teacher can kind of bring in the transition process. Can you all kind of go a little deeper on that? Yeah, um, I think that I mean, transition services and setting transition goals are, are, you know, what we need to be doing. But I always like to say when I'm, you know, talking about this, that it starts from the very beginning. It starts with preparing students. I mean, even if we're teaching them, you know, how to transition and how to access, uh, say, a bowling alley, you know, and go bowling, um, 
you know, we have to start from the very beginning. They need to know how to exchange money, and they need to know that they need money to go there. They need to know that they wear different shoes. Um, you know, so it's more than just teaching them how to bowl, you know, you know how to use proper form and, and things like that, but it's those functional lifetime skills that, that we're addressing in a physical education setting that are preparing our students for transition. So I feel like physical educators and adapted physical educators, we're doing these things, which is nice. We're already doing these things, and it's nice to be able to say, hey, listen, you're doing this, and this is amazing. This is directly related to their transition. So I think highlighting those things, those functional skills, is super, super important. And is that um, us kind of highlighting them as functional skills then to the IEP team? I do. I, I make a point to to say, you know, just like I said previously, is it's more than just knowing how to roll a ball down a lane. And I think a lot of people, you know, when they think of physical education and physical activity, they do think of the physical gross motor side of that. <clears throat> so I really make a point to, um, you know, highlight those things that maybe they're working on in their class, those functional skills or where they're working on at home. And, and kind of tailor those and, and address those so that the student is prepared to, to transition. See, I, I support that also, especially part of the community access, knowing how to get into a building and either pay or swipe a card for access and, and everything around being successful in the bowling alley or in the gymnasium or the fitness center, just everything leading up to that and following that participation piece is really critical. So it's some of those things that I've uh, heard of more or less um, going on as far as AP teachers goes. It's like us working in uh, sometimes locker rooms, like what's appropriate locker room behavior. Um, should we also be working with, if they're going to a YMCA or something like that, for some, should we also be working with um, the people that work at the YMCA? And what should we, if we should be, then what should we be doing there? Well, that's one of the major barriers is facility personnel who really don't understand uh, the population we work with. They don't have enough experience. Yes. And, I mean, it's no one's fault. They just haven't had the exposure or experience to really understand what these students need. Um, but it is addressing staff through maybe some trainings or in-service, which we found very successful uh, on our side here with our – we have a student recreation center, but it's also the community recreation center. We've had a list, the community clientele as well as the staff of the fitness center and kind of let them know what's going on and the behaviors they're going to see and explain that to them. Yes, I think that's very, very important because you want them to have a, a positive association with, you know, students with special needs and those that are different. And I think that anyone wants to be prepared, you know, anyone wants to know what, what is coming and what's around the corner. So I really think that that is a step that needs to be taken and that's often overlooked. Is the idea then that is us as AP teachers that we should be going in there um, and doing some type of in-service, doing some type of training with them? And because, my, you know, my whole thing is always like, you know, we know it's an issue. So then what do we do about it? I, I think increasing awareness, you know, I think the more that we get our students out in the community, that's preparing not only our students, but it's preparing those in the community. So I think, you know kind of trial by fire, going at it and, and figuring out what works and what doesn't. And, you know, not only providing them the information before they meet these students and work with these students, but also following up with them um, 
you know, to, to say, hey, this was really good, and he responded really well to this, and, and you know, we'd like to see more of this. And I think that the more, the more comfortable that, that our personnel in the community are, the better our students are going to be received and, the you know, the more opportunities they are going to have. Yeah, I think when you go into a facility, um, if you have the proper supports with you and all the scaffolding your student needs, they feel much more comfortable that you're not leaving a group of students to run through the hallways or gyms un- unattended or un- unsupervised. So the more support staff you have, if it's necessary, the agencies feel much more comfortable allowing you in the first place. Then attitudes are all broken down from that point on. All right. So now let's let's talk about those facilities. Um, you know, I think that's a broad term. And so what, you know, and I mentioned the YMCA before, what type of facilities should APE teachers be kind of targeting to get their kids involved in uh, during the transition process? Well, we use a recreation center. We use, um, for nutrition, we use a uh, dining facility. So we use facilities that are community, fully inclusive community centers, which is what's available in the community. Now, if we send students out in the community, which is outside Slippery Rock, uh, we try to access that recreation facility as well. So really, it's where other people go to exercise, where everybody goes to exercise. It's not just a special place. It can be a park, a playground, or a rec center. Yes, and that's very, very important to, to mention because there are, you know, these inclusive playgrounds um, popping up left and right, which is amazing and so really amazing to see. The only thing is that, you know, our students are not only al- only allowed to go to those places. They they should be in the community with, you know, everyone else and, and being able to access that. It's, it is all about access. It really is. And then if I want to get them involved in these different um, facilities and such like that, uh, like kind of like the background of that, how do I... Uh, develop um, relationships and partnerships and such that then, you know, that they're trained, they know we're coming, um, and how do I do that so I can make those, you know, collaborations within the community? I think it just starts by providing the opportunity for students with special needs to go into the community. So maybe at the middle school level or, you know, their earlier years at the high school level, giving them those opportunities um, to be in the community so that those community partners are exposed to students with special needs. Um, providing them those opportunities, first and foremost, will expose everyone else. But then, you know, another important thing, too, is is to be present in the community. You know, always being out and about and, and talking with your local parks and rec and volunteering with them. You know, so then they kind of see your face and they know your name and they know you're associated with students with special needs. So then they know that they can turn to you or they can ask you questions if they need to and that you're going to be there to support them. So I really think it's it's a lot of FaceTime. You know, it's a lot of interacting with students with special needs and advocating for these students and putting them in situations where you have to learn who they are and you have to get to know them. And the chances are... You know, I've had so many people that we've done this with, and then they've come up to me and said, oh, my gosh, I want more. I I want students with special needs. How how do I get more involved? You know, so it's really neat to see that not only the community partners teaching our students, but our students also teaching the community partners. Yeah, I agree. Um, We we encourage our students not just to participate in physical activity during the physical education curriculum, but also to join after-school sport either intramurals or, you know, 
extramurals or you know, I don't know, sport programs after school like IUS. We have interscholastic unified sports programs where these students, like Laura said, are always visible, always on a team, always in a rec center, always in a facility, um, whether it's school day, school night, weekends, or whatever. They're just part of the community now. And it's important to, to, to share information with the parents or, um, you know, an autism society or someone that, you know, a student, when they leave the school setting and, and, you know, they are out in the community, it's important for them to know of activities and things that they can do. Because a lot of times parents don't know that they can access this or that they can do this. So it's really important to let them know and to encourage that physical activity. That seems to be um, something that I, I've uh, noticed is that sometimes it seems to be like advertisements, almost like the biggest thing that we need to do, that they're able to actually do these things as well. Um, and how have you communicated with some of those, you know, with parents and such uh, and organizations to let them know, um, you know, that these services exist and that kids with disabilities can can start participating in them? Well, that's a lot of legwork, right, Laura? It's just yeah. going back to the legwork. Extra work. I mean, you've got to be have someone in your program that's dedicated to do that kind of extra work beyond three o'clock in the afternoon or on weekends. I think. I I know, and I, I kind of brought that question up because I I want to know if anybody else is doing this, but um, and this is kind of happening where I'm at in North Dallas, where some of the larger regional centers are trying to create a running document of all the different facilities and such. Um, that, you know, offer different types of recreational and fitness things for people with disabilities. But the problem with that is that it uh, needs to constantly be updated. Um, so I was wondering if any of you all have done anything like that. There is, um, we do have one in North Carolina. It is, I mean, three to 400 pages of all places that individuals with disabilities can access and, you know, when you hear about this, you think you're going to get a little flyer or maybe a pamphlet, but you're getting a, a bound 300-page document that outlines everything that, that these individuals can do. But the updating is, is the issue. So that you can print it, and then the next day something else pops up. So it is already a little dated, and um, I have inquired and, and started to talk a little bit with the organization that did it about adding a couple more things because it's been, I think, six or seven years now since that document has been out. Yeah, in a town of 2,000 people here, we don't have a 300,000. <laughs> we can go on the back of a postcard. But <laughs> we don't have, we're, we're an hour north of Pittsburgh, so there are a lot of resources in Pittsburgh, but families won't travel that far. Uh, a couple times a week for an activity. So we have to do as much here on campus as we can for those students. Very nice. Okay, I kind of jumped around. I kind of went to the facility piece a little earlier than I wanted to, and I want to kind of step back now and go back into the IEP meetings, uh, and then maybe we'll go back into the facilities a little bit more. So let's first um, talk about, Do you? so in your experience, are you invited to the IEP meetings during the transition programming? In full disclosure, no, not not commonly at all, and it it does, but it's not. You know, you can't you can't put anyone at fault, you know, because it's something that is adapted PE is is constantly growing and changing, and all it really does take is going to that teacher and saying this is what we need to do and and this is how we can do it, and then 
The, the biggest issue is that teacher turnover. So we may have a teacher for six months or a year, and once you've kind of got them understanding and you, they're inviting you to some meetings, you know, then that teacher leaves. So you kind of start over. And, you know, you want to address it in a very, very kind, friendly, soft manner. You don't want to say, oh, you didn't invite me to this meeting, you know, um, because everyone is still learning in, in, in complete honesty. And, and I think that, again, we need to, they, they need to associate it with a positive thing, not, oh, I need to, oh, for totally forgot to invite this person. I'm a bad person. No, we just, we want it to be a positive thing. We're here to help and we're here to support these students. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, out here, um, teacher, physical education teachers are not normally invited to the IEP or involved in the IEP process for that matter. But we're called constantly from teachers who want to be involved in that process, which is really nice. And we do a lot of in-service for those teachers. And whether that happens afterwards or not, I'm not sure, but it's not common practice to have a physical educator in the IEP. So with the transition process, now I've actually talked to some people and I've been getting kind of differing views and I don't, I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is, but I want you all to kind of explain this and maybe explain why. I know some school districts that are basically at transition, at the point of transition, they're dropping APE from the programming. And the idea that has been given to me is that uh, very like, once they hit 18 and if they're still in the special education process until they're 21 or whatever, that their general ed peers are not no longer getting PE. And so that's why they're getting dropped. And that's the reasoning behind it. Um, is that, does that need to occur? Can, should they, can they, or, and should they be getting PE or APE once their general ed peers are no longer getting it? Well, once, once the peers don't receive physical education, there's no responsibility for the student with a disability to receive that. The only exception is whether it's written in the IEP or not. Yep. That's, that's a caveat right there that a parent can um, argue for the IEP to include physical education if the student needs it or adaptive physical education, either one. Um, if that's in there, then it's a, it's a game winner for the student. So it depends whether it's in the IEP or not in the IEP at any age. And so if they, if they do get it and they're no longer, their gen ed peers are no longer getting PE, but they're out in the community and such with still special ed services to some degree, the APE teacher would probably most like, like what is that existing somewhere? And like, what, what are they doing at that point? Cause that's going on with most other special education services. So what is it, what's going on on the adapted PE side? Yes, are they, and I, I'm, I know I'm asking these uh, big questions. Um, do you know of that occurring? Because like speech and language and such, that's all still occurring, you know, during the transition pro- program, even after they're 18, if they're still in the special education process. Okay, I, yes, that is um, a very, very common topic. And I always tell parents or, you know, the IEP team when I'm in there, if we add, if we put adapted PE and and services in their IEP for related to transition, that is only more support that this student is going to get. And so I rarely, rarely will exit a student from adapted PE because there are goals that we should still be working on. So case in point, I I like to tell this story because the, the parent said, you know, what, I said, what are you going to do after he graduates? What's your big plan? She said, well, we love to travel. 
I said, all right. So a lot of walking, reading a map, you know, things like that. So when I was working with, you know, her student or her um, son on his transition goals, we had set him up to where he learned how to walk at an appropriate pace. He learned how to, um, you know, read a map to the best of his ability. He learned how to lift a suitcase using proper form, you know, lift with your legs, keep your back straight, things like that. And, and those are things that, again, we're not working on a necessarily a gross motor or a manipulative skill, but we're working on functional skills that directly relate to transition services. So it, it could be a little bit of stretch of a stretch for adapted PE. Um, but if you're thinking outside of the box and, and really want to support these students, I think it's really important to, to tailor their education and to keep them keep goals going and meet those goals and, and be a part of the transition process and be in that IEP. So, and like you brought up that functional skills piece again, and now I want to kind of, you know, go back from the IEP meeting back into the real world. So can, so we, and we've been talking, we talked about recreational facilities more or less. Um, and I, I did something a while ago where I kind of was making some, you know, there are other areas in the transition program, right? There's employment, uh, post-secondary, there's all these other pieces that they're supposed to be preparing them for, um, daily living skills. Can we and how can we then, as APE professionals, um, help support those other areas besides just the recreational setting part? Well, what we do, what we've been doing, and here I am a physical education guy running some transition programs. So in order to keep my sanity, I had to stay to my base. You know, one of my base is health and wellness. So our entire programs are developed around a health and well, healthy and well individual. If you are healthy and well and have good stamina and endurance and flexibility, like Laura said, you're going to be a better employee. You're going to miss less days, but not go to the doctors. You're going to, who's not going to hire you in that situation when you're healthy and well and you don't, you don't utilize other sources, resources that the, that the employer would have to pay for otherwise. So if you can document your health and wellness to an employer during an interview, that's going to strengthen that. So if you can get to that point where we're developing these students who know how to eat well and stay healthy. It's a win-win for that employer as well. Yes, and I, and I think it's really important to <clears throat> integrate or you know assist students or have them assist you in setting up class, um, cleaning up afterwards, organizing, labeling. Um, another uh, program that that we started in the county I was in previously was. A sports equipment recycling where we just gathered up all this um, recycled sports equipment that people weren't using and we were gonna clean that up fix it up everything give it to our students and then the more I started thinking about it I said you know what our students can clean this up our students can learn how to relace a shoe our students can learn how to relace a glove and sort golf balls from baseballs and 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 so the more equipment we got which was a ton the more that our students, that vocational part of it, they had, you know, then then they learn how to properly clean equipment and be sure that it's functional, how to pump up a ball and, and you know, use a, a pump appropriately. And so that directly translates into vocational skills that these students are going to use, you know, after high school. Okay, awesome. Um, well, that sounds uh I, I like to hear those things. Um, I, I used to also kind of make some, I had some ideas, more or less, I did a presentation on it about if we, you know, had goals for 
uh, things like, uh, you know, ha- having them stand for so long uh, while they're um, bagging uh, at a Kroger's or something like that as well. And uh, I, re- I would love to sit, see those types of goals, that functional and then physical wellness types of goals in there and see how we can work towards those. Because I really think that we have a huge impact as well as our jobs work so well and what we were trying to accomplish works so well in the transition program. All right, with that, we are going to pause on this topic. I hope you all enjoyed it thus far. Uh, The next episode, we're going to talk more about Dr. Arnhold's program that he runs at Slippy Rock, as well as uh, where we see um, some of the futures in APE and transition. So I hope you enjoy, and we'll try to get that out to you all as soon as possible. Have a great day. Thank you.